The Commission on Presidential Debates announced its selection for this year's Absolutely Fair Debate Moderators. The announcement came on the Friday before the Labor Day weekend in the hopes no one would be around to hear how absolutely fair the moderators are. They'd be too busy not hearing the FBI dump on how absolutely honest Hillary Clinton is. In a statement to the media, Debate Commission President Huma Abedin said, quote, We sincerely hope our blatant display of bias will communicate our contempt for the American people and their election process. As Democrats, we trust we have injected enough self-hatred into the minds of the voters that they will willingly choose to elect those of us who despise them. Unquote. The list of moderators elevates some of the finest journalists in the country by giving them the evening off and instead appoints people certain to ask searing questions of any candidate who hates women so much he would try to stop the rise of the first female president, a great lady who must be treated gently because she just isn't feeling very well. The absolutely fair moderators include Michael Sanford. We know this charming 20-year-old British man will be fair because he actually attended a Trump rally at the Treasure Island Casino in Las Vegas. And all right, yes, he attempted to steal a policeman's gun and assassinate Trump while he was there, but he now promises to ask both candidates equally probing questions, which he hopes will allow him to get close enough to Trump to get off a clean shot this time. Another absolutely fair moderator will be Vicente Fox. Senior Fox said he would graciously take time off from being president of Mexico to teach that gringo SOB with the naranja comb over not to go around calling Mexicans criminals. To prove they are not criminals, Senior Fox said he would bring a couple of Mexican policemen on stage to drag the candidate into a van, tie him to a chair, and torture a confession out of him the way they do with everyone who dares to stand up against the cartels. Senior Fox insisted the Mexican policemen would be completely fair in the questions they asked Mr. Trump while shocking him with a cattle prod. When someone explained to Fox that in fact he was no longer the president of Mexico, Fox wandered around in a daze wondering why he was still carrying a saber and wearing his admiral's hat. The final absolutely fair moderator of the debates will be a wax dummy of Franklin Roosevelt, who through the miracle of animatronics will deliver pre-recorded questions that are absolutely fair to both candidates, even though his recorded voice sounds strangely like Hillary Clinton's. Among the questions that will be delivered to the Democrat candidate will be, can I have your cookie recipe? And how much does it mean to you to be a grandmother? Among the questions delivered to the Republican candidate will be, why can't you just die? And why are you still here? Didn't I tell you to die? The first absolutely fair debate is scheduled to be held September 26th between Donald Trump on the one side and Hillary Clinton and CNN's Candy Crowley on the other. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. It was, yeah, it sounds about right, exactly. It's like, it's not even, I sometimes wonder whether I'm actually writing satire or living in a satire, dreaming that I'm writing satire. I'm not, I'm not sure which it is. All right, it's mailbag day. Woohoo! Yay, yay. And this is a good time to remember that you have to subscribe to The Daily Wire. You get 30 days absolutely free, and then we absolutely steal eight bucks from you every, every month to keep you here. But, but you get to be part of the show. You not only get to watch the entire show, because now, see, you only get 15 minutes live on Facebook and YouTube, and then you have to come to The Daily Wire where you can hear us like a voice in the night, but you can't see us unless you subscribe. Is that right? And you can also download us at iTunes or at SoundCloud and listen. Also, while I'm selling you stuff, uh, take a minute to pre-order The Great Good Thing, my memoir about a secular Jew who comes to faith in Christ, namely me. <clears throat> you can get it now and send your receipt 
uh, to A. Claven. Is it A. Claven at dailywire.com? And I'll send you a signed sticker you can put in the book. All right, let's take a look at what's happening in the polls. Remember, we had this CNN poll, uh, and Hillary Clinton says, uh, she doesn't pay attention to polls, so you know it's bad, right? And NBC, what I love is NBC recalibrated the poll. The poll shows Trump up like 2% in nationwide. So NBC recalibrated the poll to turn the turnout to 2012, which is never going to happen, right? And then Trump was behind. But that, you know, that's <laughs> just insane. So I don't, I don't know why they just don't scribble on. You know, this, these are the numbers we would like to see. All right, so there's a big new poll out. Fred Cole of The Daily Shot, which is the Ricochet newsletter, says 50 individual— uh, there's a Washington Post survey monkey just released a massive poll of all 50 states. Hillary Clinton is ahead by four or more points in 20 states, adding up to 244 electoral votes of the 270 she needs. Trump is also ahead by four or more points in 20 states, but his only add up to 126 electoral votes. There are another 10 states with 168 electoral votes where the lead is smaller than four points. The poll shows Trump ahead in Iowa and Ohio, and the race is close in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. It also showed uh, Texas to be a dead heat, which is very, very hard to believe, but that's what it showed, and it was a, a wide sample. Uh, Doug Schoen, Schoen, I guess that's how he pronounces his name, he was in the Wall Street Journal today saying it. he's the pollster, former pollster for Bill Clinton. And he says it is not impossible that even though Hillary has a lead and she has a lot of advantages in the Electoral College, it's not uh, impossible for Trump to win now. He says he should concentrate on the Midwest and focus on the angry white voters who are all out of work and their jobs went to China. Their jobs went to China. And you know, listen, you know Hillary Clinton. Hillary was on the plane where, remember, she said she's now going to talk more to um, to reporters. She's So she gets, she gets on the plane and she's talking to reporters and somebody asks her about the CNN poll. What do you think about the CNN poll that shows up? Okay, we'll come back. We'll come back. Good morning. Good morning. Bye. 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 <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So that's, you know, to be fair, she later came on and said, I don't pay attention to polls, which always means a politician is worried because that's all they do. That is their job. Their job is defined as looking at the polls and trying to figure out who to game and who to talk to and all this stuff. All right. So now we, the, stuff, the charges are going back and forth. And first of all, there is the health thing. Her latest uh, coughing fit really raised some concerns. Wait here. Your grace. It's nothing. He's choking. Help the poor boy. Idiots, help your king. Wait. Nothing to see here. She's absolutely fine. <laughs> I, I love this. I love this idea going around where the reporters are debating whether or not it's a story that Hillary Clinton has caught. She says she's taken more antihistamines. It's a, an allergy. I have, you can hear, I clear my throat a lot. I have, I have allergies like that that make it difficult for me to talk in certain seasons. You know, probably that's true, I guess. It's just, it makes, she lies about everything. So it's hard to believe her about anything. And this idea that the press is going to debate, you know, what's a story? They covered McCain's health when he was running let me tell you some stuff that's not a story. It's not a story when a soldier dies in a war. 
an individual soldier dies in war. That's not a news story. And yet, when George W. Bush was president, every single soldier who died in the Iraq war was on the front page of the New York Times. It was a big story. Suddenly, Obama came to office. More soldiers died on his watch in Afghanistan, and for no apparent reason, but suddenly they disappeared from the front page. So, you know, it's a story when you say it's a story. That's basically it. It's not a story when a thug is killed by a cop while he's resisting arrest. That's not a story either. And, you know, I mean, that's interesting. Here is a story that this did make the, the Times, the body of an activist from St. Louis who led protests against the fatal shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, was found with a gunshot wound in the charred remains of a vehicle. So that's going to be interesting. This is Darren Seals was found in his burned car shot. That's I don't mean to laugh at the poor man being shot, but it's going to be an interesting story to find out what that happened. All right. So what's really going on now is they're throwing charges of corruption back and forth. Hillary is fighting back against the charge that she's the most corrupt, desiccated, twisted, empty, soulless, you know, human being who has ever run for any office anywhere in a civilized country. She's charging back that Donald Trump has done some bad things, too. Here is Hillary attacking Trump. Has been bankrupted in his company six times. He's been sued about 4,000 times. He's been accused repeatedly of fraudulent behavior. His so-called Trump University is under investigation right now because of the way it has scammed so many uh, students who thought they'd get a better opportunity in life. And we've recently learned that his uh, Trump Foundation has been uh, fined for illegal activity when it made a political contribution to the Attorney General of Florida uh, at the time she was being asked by her constituents to investigate Trump University because of the effects that these people that she's responsible for had experienced. And of course, as we know, there was a phone conversation uh, between them. They contradict each other. The American people deserve to know what was said because clearly the Attorney General did not proceed with the investigation. So, of course, the New York Times, the guardian of our morals, which has been covering every twist and turn of Hillary Clinton's, you know, corruption with her emails on page 30X of the <laughs> late night edition, splatters the front page with this Pam Bondi thing. Trump is supposed is said to have donated $25,000 to a group supporting Pam Bondi, Bondi, the attorney general of Florida, who is now a Trump supporter. And she is said to have ditched her investigation of Trump University. Here's Pam Bondi responding to Neil Cavuto. They're going after Donald Trump and specifically you uh, over uh, his failure to disclose a $25,000 contribution a few years back in 2013 to a political group that was connected to you uh, and, and whether to open a fraud investigation against Donald Trump that this smells bad according to one Clinton official. What do you say? Smells bad. Well, let me tell you, I will not be collateral damage in a presidential campaign, nor will I be a woman bullied by Hillary Clinton. This is about her trying to deflect everything she did as Secretary of State. And as you saw, we've sent a, re a retraction notice to newspapers um, who have printed anything about this that's absolutely untrue. And um, Hillary Clinton will not bully me. 
So I love it. The woman card played back, right? Hillary Clinton plays the woman card. I play your women card and I double my women card. You will not bully me. The problem with all this is, first, first of all, Trump was not a public official. So that immediately lowers the bar. The guy, is the guy corrupt? Well, listen to him. Trump, Trump told Brett Baer during the debates, this is what he does. I will tell you that our system is broken. I give to many people. Before this, before two months ago, I was a businessman. I give to everybody. When they call, I give. And you know what? When I need something from them, two years later, three years later, I call them. They are there for me. So and that's get? a broken system. So what would you get from Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi? Well, I'll tell you what. With Hillary Clinton, I said, be at my wedding, and she came to my wedding. You know why? She had no choice because I gave. I gave to a foundation that, frankly, that foundation is supposed to do good. I didn't know her money would be used on private jets going all over the world. It was. <laughs> you gotta love him. You got. I mean, that's how. That's listen. That's how he got nominated in the first place. And it's true. The guy is a construction guy in New York. That means he dealt with the mob. There's no way to get a building built in New York without dealing with the mob. That's that's how it works. You know. And so, like all that stuff, his line is going to be. I that yeah that's right politicians are corrupt I I know I've been buying them for years but I will not be that guy that's his line we'll see if it works but he definitely is protected by the fact that he was not a public official which changes everything it changes for instance his divorces it's nobody's business how many divorces a private individual has you know I mean it's like if he's in the White House and getting it on with a an intern in the Oval Office then it becomes our business because we pay for the Oval Office what he does in his offices not my business. Meanwhile, Julian Assange, the WikiLeak guy, says more stuff is coming down the pike on Hillary. And he was on with Hannity, and he made this really devastating point. Remember, Hillary said that she didn't know. She told the FBI she didn't know what the C meant, that it meant classified confidential on her emails. Yeah, she signed papers under oath saying she knew about this stuff, but apparently she didn't know. And Assange says he can't buy it. Hillary Clinton says that she can't remember what a C in bracket stands for. Everyone in positions of government and in WikiLeaks knows it stands for classified confidential. And in fact, we have already released uh, thousands of cables by Hillary Clinton. Here she is, Clinton. See, that's her signature, Clinton, with the C in bracket right there. Wow. Thousands of examples where she herself has used this C in brackets and signed it off. And more than 22,000 times that she has received cables from others uh, with this C in brackets. So it's it's absolutely incredible for Clinton to lie. She is lying uh, about not knowing what that is. But it's, it's a bit disturbing that Coney uh, goes along uh, with that game. All right, we got the mailbag coming up, so stay tuned. But if you're on Facebook or YouTube, you got to come over to The Daily Wire and hear the rest. Huzzah, we're back. And just to finish this thought, though, uh, Trump also went off on the email question. And, you know, I, I just think when he does this, it's very powerful stuff. This is Trump talking about Clinton's emails. Clinton and her top aides knowingly destroyed evidence and covered up their actions. After her private server was revealed last March, her staff deleted all the emails and wiped it clean using a software design to prevent 
any recovery. She bleached her emails. Nobody even heard about it before. And nobody does it because it's a very expensive process. Why would anybody that's getting rid of emails that had to do with the wedding and also, wasn't it, remember, right? Yoga, yoga. Yoga and the wedding. Why are you, when you delete 33,000, I figure five for the wedding and two for the yoga, right? So that's seven. But why do you acid wash or bleach the emails? Nobody even heard of it before. Very expensive. Just ask yourself. Then they used hammers to destroy phones so they couldn't be turned over. And by the way, who uses 13 different iPhones in four years? Who? The only people who use that many phones are usually involved in very, very, and I mean very <laughs> shady activity. So that's, those are the dueling narratives as we go into the home stretch or the beginning of the home stretch or the beginning of the end. The narrative on the one hand is Trump is a businessman who pays off politicians and sometimes has to deal with the mob, to which Trump says, yep, yep, that's who I am, and now I'm going to come in and fix the system. And the other is Hillary Clinton lying her face off, and this image of her destroying her phones with a hammer and bleaching the emails. I mean, it is so gangstery and so corrupt. I'm sorry. I think at, as far as this goes right this minute in this trade-off of bullets, I think that uh, Trump is, is way, way ahead. This is not going to stop Hillary's slide. All right, to the mailbag. Woohoo! <laughs> you know what we got to do? We got to go down to Texas, record Lindsay giving yeah. woohoo, just like, boom, press the button and... All right. I just before I get to the mailbag, several people wrote to me that I had talked about the Blair Witch and said it was the first uh, found footage thing. And a lot of people wrote to me and said you know, there was this other uh, picture, 1979, called Cannibal Holocaust, which I have to admit I never heard of, which is apparently this exploitive, violent, horrible thing. But it's done in a found footage way. And all I can say to all these people is you didn't pay your lousy eight bucks, so you don't get to have an opinion. <laughs> but, but that's interesting. I never heard of that. You know, the, the, the whole found footage thing is an outgrowth of what's called the epistolary novel, uh, novels like Dracula and Clarissa, where they were just put patched together of news reports and letters and things like that. And so it's just the movie version of that anyway. So yeah, it has a long history. All right. From Richard, I want to know if you see any end in sight to this whole SJW malarkey. Uh, that sounds, stands for spoiled juvenile wusses, right? Social justice warriors, one or the other. <laughs> Anytime soon, such as transgender issues, feminism, etc. Well, two sides to this. One is nature thrown out the door comes in through the window. So I never really worry about these things where, you know, the trends show this or the trends show that. People, people are going to do what people do in the long run. What I do see coming down the pike that is going to create a lot of new issues is new technology and new science that is truly going to blur the lines of gender, of sexuality. There was a story Drudge was running today about how people are afraid that sex robots are going to be so good at sex that nobody will want to be with human beings. You know, and all of this stuff, 
has its positive side. You know, it's none of your business who sleeps with a sex robot. You know, it's none of your business who takes drugs to entertain themselves. But all of it, all of it is always the same. It is them dealing, trading with you, trading pleasure for your humanity. Okay, they're using your pleasure against your humanity. Nobody wants to take away your pleasure. They are buying your humanity with your pleasure. If you have sex with a robot, yeah, you will have the same pleasure that you might maybe more, who knows, than having sex with somebody that you actually love. All you won't have is the love. And that's what they're trying to take away from you. They're trying to take away from you your spiritual life. If you take a pill to cheer yourself up after your husband leaves you or your wife leaves you, yes, it'll cheer you up. An antidepressant will cheer you up. The only thing you won't be is happy. As somebody who took antidepressants once said to me, you're still depressed, you just can't feel it anymore. So all they're doing is always taking away from you the thing that makes you who you are, the thing that makes you more than a meat puppet. And the reason they, there's a reason they do that. They can control a meat puppet. They can serve a meat puppet. They can give a meat puppet what he needs. They can give you the meat you need. They can give you the food, the housing, the sex you need, the drugs you need. They can give you all those things. It's only your spirit that does, d demands to be free. And freedom is the one thing government can't give you. You know, freedom is the one thing government can't give you and doesn't want to give you because they want the power. So all this stuff is there. And look, people are going to make individual choices. Most people are going to take the pill. I mean, that's what we learned from the Matrix. Most people are going to take the pill where they just become a battery empowering the government. No, you know, very few people are going to take that pill to live in reality. It's our job. to. That's why it's our job to build coalitions. That's why we're the minority. The minority are the people who want to be free. And our job is to build coalitions. And that's why being ferocious and uncompromising and insulting and offensive, that's why it doesn't work. Because ultimately, the people who want to be free are always in a majority because you can buy most people with pleasure, and that's what they're doing. So, look, is it going to end? No, it's going to be a fight forever, <laughs> forever until Jesus comes again. <laughs> you know, that's what that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a fight. Be in the fight. All right, from Kevin, as we continue to define what makes a great story, specifically in film where it's become a minute-by-minute -minute formula, do we risk stories becoming so similar to one another in structure that they ultimately feel bland? Yes, of course. You know, there's an article by yours truly you can read called No Joke in City Journal in which I talk about one of my favorite jokes. I won't tell it now. It's in the, in the article. But it's this absurdist joke where you expect it's going to go one way, it goes another way. Very few people find this joke funny. Almost all writers of fiction find it funny. And the reason they find it funny is the joke indicates that human beings are unendingly illogical, unendingly corrupt, unendingly stupid in the way they behave, and no story formula can capture that. You know, what's happened is guys study stories, you know, guys, going back to guys like Joseph Campbell, who talks about the hero with a thousand faces, how all myths are one myth or a monomyth. Uh, Robert McKee writes for screenwriters. He wrote a book called Story. And, and yes, that in screenwriting, they are down to the page. On page 35, there has to be a reversal. On page 105, there has to be, you know, the conflict, the ultimate conflict, all this stuff. And yeah, ultimately what you get is one superhero movie after another where a good writer sitting in, you know, when I sit, when I sit and watch movies at home, I, I rarely do this because I don't want to ruin the family's movie, but I can tell you exactly what's going to happen at exactly what minute unless it's done by a very, very original guy. That's why TV is outstripping uh, movies as an art form. So yeah, it's a problem because this stuff works. Just like the pills, you know, the same thing. This stuff uh, works. People go and watch those movies, and so they make money, and they're going to continue to do it. Originality, again, is always going to be the odd man out. 
Okay, from John. Hello, Dr. Overlord Clavin. And yes, I love it when people use my proper titles. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, while I am very conservative and very religious, I have seen multiple instances where political agreement has broken down because of religious disagreement, atheists having a hard time with believers, Protestants with Catholics, and so on. While I find that many of my conservative ideals stem from my religious beliefs, I am conflicted on how much of an overt role they should play in political discourse and wanted to get your thoughts. Do you feel that the strong role religion often plays in conservatism is a help or a hindrance to our cause? It is a hindrance to our political cause. It is the only thing that makes sense of our political cause. So it is a, it is a help to understanding why you're a conservative, why people should be free. Again, meat puppets don't need to be free. Only a spirit needs to be free. So only a person who believes in God needs to be free, and only a person who believes in God ultimately will be able to be free. The people who say, oh, you know, I, I don't believe in God, but I'm still a good person are absolutely right, but they're living within the construct that was created for them by a religious people. When that religious construct is ultimately gone, they think common sense is going to keep them alive. It's not. Believe me, <laughs> it's not. These are things that have been built up over the years. So, so yeah, look, in order to understand yourself, in order to know what you're talking about, in order for your conservatism to make sense down to the ground, you have to believe in God. But you can't say to a person, my government is going to force you to do what God wants you to do, because they won't, the logic of that doesn't appeal to them. There's a place where it gets so axiomatic that they don't, they don't see why they should, why should I serve your God by law? That doesn't make any sense. And we don't want to live in a theocracy at all. That That's obviously our religion right there, what Jesus said, you render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, unto God what belongs to God. So in political discourse, my argument is this. In order, in order for anybody to know what the good is, Aristotle said this. This is not me. And you can listen to Aristotle's podcast after this one. Aristotle said, in order to know what the good of anything is, you have to know what it's for. You have to know what it's for. It does no good to prop your door open with a guitar and then wonder if a guitar makes a good doorstop, you know? And you have to know what people are for. And so you have to start to talk to people about what, what gives their lives joy. What gives their lives joy? Is it having sex with a robot? Does that really give their lives joy? Or is it building things, you know, risking things, succeeding, failing, you know, all the things that make life worthwhile? You can talk to people about their real lives because nobody is living an atheist life. Nobody is living a meat puppet life unless he's addicted to some drug or other. If he's not, people are living lives according to their spirit. They just don't want to admit it because that would mean they have to obey God and they don't want to do that. All right. So, so what I'm saying is in politics, argue politics. You know, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar because God said so. <laughs> there's, a, there's a good one. All right. Uh, any last questions that I have time for? Does, uh, here's, does your makeup team from David, does your makeup team buff your head before every show or is it naturally that shiny? Uh, Taylor Payne, our makeup person with the great name. This, I love Taylor Payne's name. And, I, and we love Taylor. She does a great job. What do you think? Do you have to buff my head or is it just naturally the shiny? It's just naturally that shiny. There it is. <laughs> Thank you very much. And of course, that's my spirit shining through. It just shines through the top of my head. That's the way it works. That's the way my body works. All right, that's the mailbag. Remember to subscribe and you can send uh, questions in for next Wednesday. All answers are guaranteed 100% correct. And now for stuff I like, and I've been talking about upcoming stuff I like, and this I've been waiting uh, to recommend this because we were talking about how movies are becoming, to some extent, uh, mechanical and rote and overly commercialized. Uh, I don't mind movies being commercial. 
it's a commercial business. But when they get so commercialized that, that they are directed to everybody all the time, to the four quadrants, as they say, all the time, they tend to get kind of empty. As far as I'm concerned, TV has become much more interesting because there's such so many stations that they can appeal to a, a niche. There is a show that is now the first three seasons are on Netflix. The fourth and last season is coming up in October on the Sundance channel called Rectify. And a number of people have called this the best TV show that no one is watching. This is the story, and I'm not giving anything away. This is the first five minutes. This is the story of a man who is sent to death row at the age of 18 for the rape and murder of a 16-year-old girl. After 20 years, he's on death row for 20 years, he's been down the last mile five times, DNA evidence does not exonerate him, but it negates the trial. So they have to release him with the possibility of a retrial. And this guy who has been living in a box facing death for 20 years, and we don't know whether he's innocent or not, gets out. And the, the minute it's uh, created by a guy named Ray McKinnon, who's an old actor, producer, TV hand, it stars Aidan Young. And he gets out, and the first thing he says, this opening speech that he makes, is so offbeat and deep and interesting and intelligent that I kind of sat up on the sofa because somebody had recommended it to me. I thought, I'll watch the first five minutes, ten minutes, and I, just, I was just hooked. It is the weirdest, most intelligent show I've seen in a very long time, and it features uh, at its heart this performance from a soap actress named Abigail Spencer. She has a, uh, an adventure show coming up on, I think on NBC, it's called Timeless. Maybe it's Fox, I don't remember, it's Timeless, where she plays somebody chasing a criminal through time. She turns in a performance as the con released convict's sister that is so brilliant and so real that you feel that this person could just walk off your screen. And what makes it, you know, they're always talking about strong women in, in movies and strong women. What they mean by strong women is someone who can punch you in the face and you roll over and fly out the door, which is nonsense. I mean, that's just nonsense. That's not what happens when most women punch you. Here's a woman who is filled with ferocity, so much ferocity that she's often wrong. She will jump down the throat of anyone who tries to tell her what to do, of any authority, of anyone at all who has an opinion other than hers. And then at the same time, she is this fragile, womanly, tender-hearted person trying to f help her brother who she has dedicated her life to. It's an amazing performance. Here's just a little bit of it where she's talking to the guy's lawyer with whom she has fallen in love. What's your point, John? My point is that there are a hundred different ways the prosecution can convince a jury that Daniel did this. No matter what the DNA does or doesn't say. Of course they can. That's what they do. They're in the convincing business, John. First, they convince themselves. Then they convince anybody necessary by any means necessary, including sometimes the defendants themselves. All you have to do if it comes down to it is to convince one out of 12 people on a jury that the prosecutors are lying, cheating, son of a bitch. I'm sorry. Understandable. How is Daniel doing anyway? I don't know. I just want to hug him all the time, but I know it'd freak him out. Maybe you can sneak one in occasionally. Why couldn't Ted Jr. be wrongly convicted and spend more than half his life on death row? He'd probably come out fine. 
<laughs> you just get both sides of her. Abigail Spencer is a great performance. Let me just warn you, by the way, that this is not a story-driven TV show. It's slow. It takes its time. It's full of scenes that you sit there and go, like, why did they include that scene? It's kind of a soap opera. It's a Southern Gothic soap opera. Really good show. Rectify. Three seasons available on Netflix and the last one coming up on the Sundance Channel. All right, tomorrow we have Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal is going to talk about her terrific book. This book I read a while back. It took me a long time to get in touch with her. I couldn't find her. It took me a while to get in touch with her. Uh, the Intimidation Game about Barack Obama's war on the First Amendment. Uh, just a really terrific piece of journalism, and hopefully she'll be here. So be there, and we will be there to end this short week. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Thanks for listening.